Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. This is episode 93 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. This week it's Incursion Part 1, the first half of the Season 1 finale. Aired last week on Sci-Fi Channel and Space and uh, just aired here in the UK. Excited to see the end of Season 1 of SGU. It's been a nice long ride. It has been. Well, we have lots to talk about this week, and we have lots of listener mail. You know, we did the open line night last week. I was originally worried that we were not going to get enough voicemail for the show, for open line night, and then we got a ton, which was great. And we had a nice show, which was made ten times better by Tammy being here. But then this week, we got a ton of follow-up. So we have Incursion to talk about, and some voicemail for Incursion. And then we have a nice, big, sort of... Uh, post-open line night, open line night, where people have lots of things to talk about this week. Let's do incursion. The main discussion. This is really part two of a three- or four-parter, I guess, following Subversion last week, and we know that the, the finale next week is going to end on a cliffhanger to take us into season two, which starts in October. So uh, we're just about 50% of the way into this this big story here. Do you think cliffhangers are overrated? Overrated? Don't you ever I just get it. sick and tired of saying, okay, let's just get to the part in this episode where I'm left in suspense for the rest of the year? I've gotten to the point where I've, I've become very cynical of being left in suspense. It's like, yeah. okay, this is very, very gimmicky. Just have the characters turn to me on the screen and say, Please tune in next year. Please come back. I mean, that's October. essentially what's happening, you know? <laughs> well, it's a device that uh, it, it helps people to come back. I think it's more effective than not. I love a good cliffhanger. Uh, yeah, that's the but... question, is is the cliffhanger going to be a good one or not? Um, all cliffhangers, in my mind, are held up to the uber-high, insurpassable standard of best Mr. of both worlds. Yeah, I know. I think Lost has just really burnt me out from them. Everything is just suspenseful and yeah. Oh my gosh, can it you get more dramatic? More of the Legend of the Seeker model that sort of ties up the season at the end. And be confident that your product is good enough that people are going to want to come back to continue the show next year on their own, not on their own merits, not because you've conned them. Um, oh, like, every little bit helps. <laughs> okay. It's a storytelling device. It's not a con. I think it's a little gimmicky. Uh, I think we're just... But I think we're, we've gotten to the point where we're used to it. Well, I think a cool cliffhanger is great. And I've seen some stinkers in yeah. my time. Hey, you know what? That's a good idea for a mid-season, uh, uh, in-between-season podcast. We could talk about all the cliffhangers from Stargate history. There we go. How about that? So, Incursion, part one. We're picking up uh, from Subversion which had uh, Colonel Telford stuck in a closet with the air. Boy, did I call that one or what? Let out. I thought he was gonna, they were going to kill him for a little bit because, you know, we, we've always been wanting to know what happens to two bodies when one person dies, expires. And we kind of get a little bit of an inkling of that. Rush goes down. and When they're connected, yeah, with yeah, the stones. And Camille says, you know, you're going to kill them both, which I don't think she knows for sure. Or maybe she's just been given the divine knowledge of, of the writers to to introduce that as fact. I don't know. Well, that's a pretty good guess. I would think that whenever the stones were pulled, Telford would go back to his body. But mm. I guess if his mind is dead, I don't know. It, it's a fair assessment that both of them would die, which is, I think, why she says it. And apparently Rush, you know, he got knocked out too. Don't know if they had to, to do any sort of heroic measures and do CPR on Rush back at uh, the Lucian Alliance Pyramid, but we do know that he lost consciousness. What the heck happened to his hand? It was bloody, and, and Kiva said, you know, sorry, I did, did she prick his hand? What did she do to him? She cut him? She, she said she, she uh, was making sure that he was not faking it, so yeah, I think she, she's probably sliced his hand with a knife. Okay, and he didn't come to, and she's and like, oh, okay. Yeah, he didn't react. Bitch. That was interesting. <laughs> what about this uh, this thing where, you know, 
Oh, you guys, you, I didn't know you were playing the card where if you kill them and you bring them back, you wipe them of their, uh, of their, your brainwashing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was thinking, I was trying to think, where has that been done in Stargate before? And I couldn't think of, I, I remember the Zat gun, that, that specific type of energy, um, conveniently enough, can, uh, can. For Nishta, yeah. For Nishta. Um, but the, when, the did they, when did they, they well, they're referring to this being used in the past as a tactic, that, we, that Young was aware of this, and I can't think of when it was. We had a previous caller, and I can't remember if uh, it got on last week's show or the Subversion show, who suggested that what Young might be doing here is the Rite of Malcheron. And I think that's what's going on. This is what we saw I did not in, hear that. Uh, in SG-1 Season 5 in Threshold, with Teal'c being... Uh, uh, he was brainwashed by Apophis uh, to serve him again, and so our guys, uh, mm. thanks to Braytech, you know, take a symbiote out which a symbiote keeps a Jaffa alive, and you basically push him to the brink of death, give him a near-death experience, and this is able to overcome this particular kind of ghoul brainwashing. Uh, we get it again in, I think, Stronghold in Season 9 with uh, Mazrai, one of the old uh, Jaffa High Council members, does this himself, because he, he realizes he's been brainwashed uh, yeah. by Ball. He takes yeah. out his own symbiote and yeah. does not survive. Um, so that, I think, is what, what we're led to believe is going on. That, uh, you know, Telford and Young talk about having read mission reports of, in, for the SGC of this happening before, where you push someone to the brink of death in order to overcome ghoul brainwashing. And now he's himself again, which, which indicates that this is the first time we've ever seen him as himself. You know, it's kind of like yeah. Osiris, Sarah Gardner. You never really see the real Sarah Gardner except for one scene in the entire show. And we finally see David Telford. You know, he's at the end after yeah. she gets, yeah, right after she gets unplugged from the Gould. But now, you know, he's uh, Young's putting his hand on on his shoulder. You know, these it's it's we I think that we're we're out of we're beginning to be out of the woods with Telford. And Telford's now aboard the ship. It's like a friendship restored. Yeah, it's it's like you realize. He was brainwashed. We've broken him, apparently, of the brainwashing. And it's you realize that, you know, he's been a jerk this entire season, and that story arc has, has sort of come full circle now, and the friendship between these guys is is on the mend. So you think that everything dickish that Telford has done this season, you know, with Colonel Young's wife and all that, was just the result of, of uh, being a Lucian Alliance lackey? Yeah, I think so. I, th I mean, it is the, the the like with the with his wife and things like that. This is conducive of a real Lucian Alliance type jerk. <laughs> so, mm. I would attribute things like that Just to trying to undermine the you. brainwashing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suspect so. Yeah. So you think he's really back? You think there's I do. a chance that he might be faking and and still trying to play both sides? Or Maybe still on the side. Well, for a while I was thinking, you know, this isn't this a little convenient? Oh, he's suddenly back and we're all taking it for granted, you know, where if he was really not back, he would say to himself, ooh, look at this, they all believe me, now let's now let's really do some damage. Um, I, but I think he yeah, is Yeah, it basically restores his cover. Exactly. If it didn't work. What do you think? Um, the fact that they haven't shown us uh, any sort of asides with Kiva, I don't know, I guess it he wouldn't necessarily be talking to her about what happened and about the fact that he wouldn't necessarily tell her in this situation that, you know, they think that I'm on their side now. So yeah. we can use that against But he, he could have even said it to her just like that, and he didn't. Yeah, I think he's probably back, for, for real. Which is cool. I like the idea of, of uh, Young and Telford sort of reconciling that relationship and of him being you know, on our side now, heading into season two, if he survives the next episode. Yeah, I mean, either Lou Diamond Phillips is going to be a main character in season two, or that guy's going to be dead, because we've got Admiral Kane, you know, joining the fleet. We've got, you know... Well, uh, a good compare. This character has to become a regular character, or has to disappear. You've got to do something with this person. Now that he's on Destiny, yeah. Or do Riley with him. Oh, he's in a coma for ten episodes. They're, they're going to have to put him somewhere if he's not going to be a main member of the cast. Well, here's my impression. From what I've read from the writers and the, and the cast and crew, 
I think that when they created SGU, they wanted this palpable sense of danger that anybody could be offed at any time. It's not like Jack and Daniel where you know you can't kill these guys. We have a large ensemble cast, eight main cast members. Lou Diamond makes nine. Um, and so I think they want us to fear that, you know, any of these guys could potentially be killed off. Oh, you know someone is going to be off next in week. In major you events. So yeah. now we've reached the end of season one, and none of those nine have even really come close no, to being killed off yet, brother. or left behind. So I think we've got one more hour, and I think, you know, I, I'm going to be really surprised if all nine of those guys make it. I suspect two. there's a reasonable chance that the nine will make it. Um, but one of the ancillary characters, if that's the case, one of the ancillary characters will not. Um, yeah. You've got Riley in that group of hostages. In, in I suspect there's a yeah, decent chance that he's going to be offed. You're, you're going to have a Peter Groden. You're going to have someone in there who is going to make... like I mean, Peter, and, Peter Groden and Aiden Ford made the siege memorable because they they were our casualties yeah this incursion has to be made memorable by offing someone and it's just a matter of who it's going to be because if you don't i think it's safe to say that you and i will be fairly disappointed that 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 wasn't that that sense of of um risk wasn't taken not that i that there's any particular character that i dislike so that not saying that at all killed off but yeah, I mean, in, in addition to those nine, we have all these supporting characters who they've they've uh, the writers have have caused us to love, and obviously the actors as well. You know, I kind of like Volker. He hasn't had a lot to do, but I like the guy, Doctor Park, and uh, Lieutenant James. Mm-hmm. I like those guys. You know, Riley's cool, so it would be significant if if they got killed off. Something has to happen in the next... I mean, and this is all like, you know, not talking about Incursion 1, but something has to happen to make this event significant in the minds of fans as they go into their own void of no episodes. Yeah, and I think you also have to give the Lucian Alliance uh, some more teeth. Because I think in their SGU presence so far, these last two episodes, they're off to a really good start, and yeah. Keeva's a very strong character. But you've got to give them some teeth so that we know they're not sort of the, the bumbling, fumbling idiots of the galaxy like <laughs> they were portrayed in, in many episodes of SG-1. This woman means business. Kiva certainly does. She, you know, she pulled out her gun and was ready, not even, not even radioing Young and giving him an ultimatum. But she was just on the spot as a show of force going to put a bullet in the back of the head of a pregnant woman. Yeah. She is serious. She is hardcore. Again, the greater question: Why are they there? You know, and I, and I think I think one of our callers, you know, brings brings that up. Why Why would you want to be trapped in the uh, across the universe? I I love the picture that you put up of incursion that didn't appear to be in, in the part of the episode of all the the, the yeah. Lucian Alliance officers cheering, and you know, all my my friends are, are over at my house. We're getting ready to watch the episode, and we're looking at the picture, and they're all cheering like the Jaffa, saying, "Yay, we're going to be trapped across the other end of the universe, and we don't know why." Yay! Yay! Yeah, it was really, funny. <laughs> it was really funny. We're going to this old cramped ship with no resources and no way home. Yay! Yeah, the photo uh, comes from uh, MGM, and it looks like when they dialed the gate successfully yeah. to get to Destiny, all those guys in leather in the gate room cheered. A la Atlantis Expedition. Yeah, apparently cut from the episode. Hello, GateWorld, long-time listener, first-time caller in I have what I guess is called a quibble now about the most recent episode, Incursion Part 1. It's in regards to what we know and what we don't know about Destiny at this point. In the most recent episode, there was an invasion or dialing in from an Icarus-like planet from the Lucian Alliance into the Destiny. We know it's stranded 20 billion light-years away. We know it's a very, very old ship. We know it's in relatively poor condition, that there's a lot of systems that don't work. The batteries can only get to 40% of charge. You know, there's a holes in the ship. We don't have full control over it. We don't even have basic control over it. And my quibble is not so much that the Lucian Alliance would want to go here, and that doesn't make much sense, but one would assume it does make sense. We've just been given so little information about the actual ship or anything of value to anybody on the ship that it leaves a question open as for the viewer, 
why should I believe that they would want to come here? It'd be interesting to see why they are there. Kiva talks to Young over the radio and says, you know, we basically want to do what you want to do. We're here to try and crack the secrets of destiny. I suspect that there is more to it than that. I mm. suspect that they that they may have an ace up their sleeve when it comes to destiny. Mm-hmm. So Sam comes back with the Hammond, and we see Jack again at Homeworld Command. Um, what'd you think about yeah. these scenes? And a little bit of Daniel. Daniel's on reruns. Yes. On, on Eli's little iPhone. From a clip that we did not see, so they finally used some of that footage. Oh, good. The, the Sam stuff, you know, going to the planet... Uh, sending the F-302s down and and getting away, just barely, even more narrowly escaping it than last time. I gotta say, this really felt like going through the motions. There was yeah. never any jeopardy as far as those guys were concerned, uh, I thought. Uh, I thought it was just kind of nice to stick them in there for the finale. It felt just like Air Part 1 revisited. Yeah, and I mean, in Air Part 1, she and her ship got to at least defend the planet from an attack. And here, you know, it's, it's the sort of thing that has to happen because we get Telford back on our side, so then we get the intel that we want about where the planet is, and then we obviously want to send a ship there to try and, you know, recover Rush and stop these guys. But yeah, it's kind of going through the motions. Um, and the, it was great, great to see Sam, but she doesn't really do a whole lot, does she? The base is, is shielded from transporter technology and... That little beat about her having to leave two of her pilots behind was interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting then later when when Young goes to talk to to Jack, and Jack brings that up. This is Steve from Medford, Oregon. I think they could have taken back the ship in the Lucian Alliance by not completely venting the atmosphere out of the, the hole, out of the Stargate room, but maybe bringing the oxygen level down to about maybe 10%. They should be able to regulate the, the amount of oxygen in the room. You know, that would have disorientated them, and then the other soldiers wouldn't have been able to fight back. Young was unwilling to vent the atmosphere from the gate room when the Alliance first gated in because Telford was there. You know, whether or not he knew that it was, it was Russia's mind, you know, maybe if, it's, if he it thinks it's still Russia's mind and he's sacrificing Rush and Telford, that's two guys, and you know what, hey... Colonel Carter just lost two guys, too. He hesitated, and now there's a good chance that plenty will die because of it. There will be consequences to that. What do you think about, about uh, Jack's reasoning there? It's, it's kind of a different Jack O'Neill than we're used to seeing. It's, it's a little bit more... This is an O'Neill with responsibility. Yeah, it's, no, it's it, the other side of we don't leave our people behind. It's the reality of command is sometimes you, know, you have to order these people Sometimes you have no left. choice. And you have no choice but to, you know, cut them sometimes. It had to be done. He trusts Sam that if they could get those F-302s back to the ship in time, I don't know why they didn't beam them out of their cockpits. For whatever reason, there's too much interference. They couldn't do that. Um, but that that had to be. She had a crew full of people that were going to sacrifice their lives uh, in the unsuccessful attempt to bring those two pilots or four pilots aboard. And you know what? She had to do it. Yeah. And it's not pleasant, but that's the reality of it. The great line that I did, I did love from Jack was uh, when Sam radios in and talks about the pyramid on the planet surface. And he says, pyramid, that, brings me back. that takes me back. Oh, you liked that, huh? That was a great line. That's the best Jack of the season. I, I didn't care for it. Really? No, I didn't. I was like, oh, oh come on. You know, I, I, yeah. I think I said that. Too lighthearted for the situation? Yeah, I prefer Serious Jack in, in these in these situations. As little as it is like our classic O'Neill, um, yeah. this guy is, is... This is a different man than the man that we knew 12, 13 years ago. Um, and he is saddled with a hell of a lot more responsibility. Now, correct, there, there need to be those sarcastic asides, but I, I, I personally didn't feel that that one was very appropriate. But again, I'm nitpicking. Nitpick, nitpick. Yeah. I liked it because it shows that as serious as he is now and as, as serious as his job responsibilities are mm-hmm. at the Pentagon, you know, he's, he's still Jack. He's still that same guy. And it's nice that, you know, they do have a pyramid in all those, in, in all those exterior scenes. So there is one there, and it's nice that someone makes a comment that, that it is a, peri- a pyramid. 
considering mm-hmm. we haven't really seen one in universe yet. And another Icarus planet bites the dust. Yes. See, I, this, Annette, again, you know, it, it all felt like going through the motions to me. Like, th- there was nothing in this that was surprising at all. You see what I'm saying? I mean, is that a silly comment on my part to be to be complaining about that, or is that a legitimate complaint, you think? Because all of that I was expecting out of this episode, and we got it, and it's kind of, you know, my reaction to it is very neutral. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a fair comment because... Incursion Part 1 feels like a lot of setup to me. Yeah. I know that, you know, Subversion last week was giving us setup in terms of, you know, telling us where Telford is at with his relationship uh, as, a, as a spy and putting Rush where he needs to be to help the Lucian Alliance get to Destiny. Because, as I said a couple weeks ago, I wouldn't want the Lucian Alliance to be able to figure out the Ninth Chevron by themselves. But uh, Part 1... Felt like a lot of setup, so it didn't necessarily bother me that, you know, okay, they get to Destiny. Well, we know that they're getting to Destiny. And, um, you know, they fly through the through the Stargate, just like our guys did. Um, mm-hmm. You know, their Icarus planet blows up. It has to blow up because you can't have anyone follow you. It seemed like it, it was because they sort of had to dial it in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Because the Hammond had arrived in orbit. And uh, theoretically, there's some way to harness the power of an Aquadriolase planet without blowing it up. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, yeah, it's, it's sort of rehearsing the steps of how our guys got to Destiny in Air Part 1, mm-hmm. which I think is probably probably intentional. I mean, it's, it's meant to be sort of the, the other bookend at the end of the season. Now the mm-hmm. bad guys get here the same way. Mm-hmm. And now we're stuck with them, a la Maquis. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to, to see uh, and talk about after the end of, of the finale next week is are we going to be able to take care of all of these guys? You know, we can't send them back if some of them survive. You know, presumably there's dozens of Alliance people here. Some of them survive the next couple of weeks, you know, the, the season two premiere. Are we going to stick them in prison? Are they going to be your prisoners in Destiny? Or are we going to try and integrate them? I suspect this is going to be one of the storytelling uh, points of Season 2, or perhaps half of Season 2, perhaps the whole thing. Whether it's permanent or not, I'm not sure. You know, they may ultimately yeah. off them over the course of the show. They may all, you know, gradually find uh, some red shirts in a closet and put those on and then go off and die. But um, I, th- I, think, I think for right now, I think that that's, that's the plan. That this, is, this is going to give us some stories to tell in Season 2. That's what this is. Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting way to go because then we're back to dealing with an internal threat, as in the people walking around on the destiny mm-hmm. and their relationships. But at the same time, it's external. They're not us. Mm-hmm. It's not like military versus civilians. It's not like Colonel Young versus Ray. Mm-hmm. You know, this this outside force. There's there's definitely some some nice potential for season two if they keep these guys around you can do young versus rush young versus ray you know you can keep doing that but you can't do it for a whole series you have to add pieces to that to that uh, board in order to shake it up and make the show dynamic and interesting you know to make it seem like it's progressing even though these people are 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 you know stuck on this static ship going from planet to planet collecting resource a b c um, this is what you've got to do, and I think it's going to work. So there is a pyramid on the surface of this planet, and I guess my l- tiny little question is, do you think that this is a pyramid ship that, that they've landed there uh, after they found it, or do you think that this maybe shows that there was a Gould presence on another Nequadria world other than Langara? Well, it was Ra. Uh, I think it was. I think Ra just established a... Uh... Uh, a base there and was probably tinkering much like Thanos was. So you think it's it's actually like a like a station, like a facility and not a I ship? Sus- I suspect so. Alright, so you want to talk about the B storyline? Eli and the Clo? Eli and the Clo. They uh, duck and cover through the gunfire and find themselves in an ancient elevator. And Eli does a keyboard mash on the control panel, and they wind up on a distant part of the ship. Yeah, way down the nose. 
Man, if uh, if I was Eli, that that would be a fantasy coming true, boy. Holy cow. Let's be honest here. That would be a fantasy coming true. Chloe yeah, is now the gets, damsel, and he gets to he gets to he gets carry to her and take care of her. But at the same time, she might die. Dream scenario for him to be the uh, the shining hero, but he also has to come through and actually get her back. Yes. So the elevator basically gets turned off by, uh, I think, by Young and our guys. Huh? So that they have to walk back. Oh, I see what you're saying. When they cut power or something? Yeah. Okay. I think that there was a, there was a line where they deliberately disable that sort of thing to try and keep the Lucian Lance contained. Yeah, there's not a whole lot going on in this storyline other than, you know, he's trying to keep her from bleeding out and uh, has to carry her down the corridors. It's a nice little beat where he, uh, you know, he tells me there's no life support out here because he's the one who turned it off. Yeah. <laughs> has to, he has to go and, you know, pound the, the control pad to open up the next corridor, not knowing if it's going to be exposed to space. Yeah. Or if it's going to be, as it turns out, just perfectly fine and more dark and scary. I'm just looking forward to seeing what they do next week on it. Um, I think it's. I, I hope it's going to lead to something, not just you know fade to black on them at next week. You know, Chloe's still bleeding out, and and they haven't they haven't found their way back. They may not find their way back until next year. Don't know if it's going to be next week or the or the uh, season premiere in the fall. But I suspect that we've got these guys out away from the rest of the action so that we can bring them back later and, and they'll play a, a pivotal role by being in a different part of the ship. Yeah, that's a possibility. The Lucian Alliance has unlocking mechanisms for the, um, the doors. Yes, they came prepared. And they came with little uh, breather masks, too. They did indeed. They came completely prepared for this... Uh for this encounter, which is smart on, smart on Kiva's part. I was not expecting them to be as prepared as they were. So that was, that was, um, that was exciting. Took them off guard. Yeah, and she has the advantage that we didn't coming to Destiny, which is that she knows exactly where she's going to end up when she steps through that Stargate. Mm-hmm. And who is there. I mean, even the whole bit about opening the, the doors and, and throwing um, grenades through, a surprise. We, we get our butts handed to us. Yeah, and I thought that we were pretty much in control. I mean, we knew that Rush slash Telford was going to be coming through the gate, so that's going to, you know, put a bit of a wrinkle in Young's plan, but otherwise, we're in control. We've got them in a contained area in the gate room. We've got soldiers posted on, on all the exits, basically. We've got video on them, and we've got control of their atmosphere, so... It's just a matter of how many sacrifices we're willing to make in terms of people to keep them there. Yeah. I thought it was nice for this episode, sort of a running question, a running conversation. You know, how many people are we willing to sacrifice? And Rush has this this moment where he, he says to Camille and everybody in the room, you know, Young has already decided what the number is, the number of people that he's willing to sacrifice for this situation. And Young comes back at him and says, basically, that number is zero. I'm not willing to lose anybody. Yeah, I'm going to get everyone out of there alive. Do you understand? It's going to be interesting to see if he can keep that promise. It was surprising. I'll be interested to see if he can because, uh, you know, that's the young I like. That's that's the young who's uh, who's kind of a hero. That's the we don't leave our people behind. Camille's um, dialogue with Kiva is interesting. In our society, the uh, military is governed by a civilian government. I'm thinking to myself, no, in your society, <laughs> you're governed by Colonel Young. That's the society that you are in. What about Destiny itself? Destiny is doing a couple of things in this episode. You point out in our in our notes here that she is standing still, or sitting still, rather. Rush observes that we have not jumped back into FTL, which the ship apparently dropped out of FTL in order to accept this incoming wormhole, and then would normally have jumped back. But it is not only not back in FTL, but there's an external shot of the ship towards the end, and it's completely standing still. We are adrift. Now, it, it appears that it wasn't because they cut power. So there's another reason. Yeah, well, we don't have the ability to, to stop the ship dead in its tracks by cutting its power. Right. So and what else do you think the ship has done? I don't... Th this is the other thing that's strange. We, a, a guy gets fried. Completely fried. 
Yeah. And Telford swears that he has nothing to do with it. This was done really ambiguously. You know, it wasn't like an, an internal weapons turret turned on this guy and blew him away, and we're left saying, hmm, is Destiny, is Destiny protecting itself from the Lucian Alliance? Is Franklin in there somewhere? Is the Destiny AI coming to life at all? It's kind of mm-hmm. like we're asking ourselves... Uh, is this an accident? You know, was the, was there solar flare? Was was solar radiation coming through when the shield, you know, was too thin and the guy got fried? Or we don't know what the hell happened. Yeah, it's like the compartment is. They know before they go in there, it's it's uh, compromised, partially open to space, but but Destiny's energy shield is over it, and it's just this one guy in this one part next to the door. The shield over his head just starts to fritz a little bit, and he gets cooked. Yeah. Which was a cool little little uh, visual effects sequence. Yeah, it was neat. But, yeah, the first thing that I suspected was this ain't no accident. Mm-mm. Something's going on. It's kind of random yeah. as to why Destiny chose to get this one fried. And you know, the other thing, too, is that with the Alliance guys, they just tail. You know, they're, they're gone. And it's not even like, Telford, you're coming with us. You know, they take off. I don't know what to make of this. I mean, I yeah, suspect that it has something to do with Franklin, and, and the ship is is consciously defending itself. Someone is consciously defending the ship, but yeah, I don't know. That's that's what I thought. Whether it's Franklin or uh, or the ship AI, that's that's what I thought. And it's interesting that it chose to do what it did, assuming there was a conscious mind at work, because you know it could have just turned off the shield, and you know evacuated the all air. Of them vented all of them or, or sent them running back to the gate room. Um, but no, the result of this was all those guys ran away and it gave Telford a moment to have a little exchange with Young and get a radio. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely to our advantage. Mm-hmm. As a couple of things have been to our advantage this year with uh, the hyperdrive and all sorts of stuff, it's kind of starting to come together. Yep. I'm thinking, yeah. thinking it's going that way. Kiva's lieutenant. Kiva's right-hand Varro. man has been damn it. hurt. And damn it, his name is Varro. His name is Varro. It's not the same guy. I've, I thought Ova, Odai Ventrell was very interesting, so disappointed. At least it's Mike Dopud. At least he is back. So, yep. you know, um, and I think he's got episodes in season two, does he not? He's not looking so good right now, but, but yeah, he's listed on IMDb for a few more episodes. So, if, whether he's a corpse or not, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, maybe Odai changed his name when he joined the Lucian Lions. <laughs> Wanted to leave his past behind him. You know, this is, this is the kind of man who would change his identity. You know, I mean, this is... Sure. So, so it may be him. I hope it is. Yeah, I do hope he, he uh, comes back and sticks around for a while. Because I'd like to have a, a Mike Dapa supporting character. If I was Kiva, I would not put big money on myself surviving much into Season 2. But it'd be nice to have some, some Lucian Alliance characters who we actually know. I mean, now we know this guy's name. Otherwise, they're just all red shirts running around in black leather. You know, we learned the name of her scientist right before she shot him. Yeah. Virgin. But otherwise, Kiva and Varro, I think, are the only the only Alliance members whose names we know, the only ones who have had any dialogue. We have any faces on, yeah. So right now they're just a force. They're a force that are running around the corridors, shooting guns, and making trouble. But, you know, that opens up possibilities. I mean, Layden, we, Layden had, I think, a name in, in Siege 2. Maybe, I mean, not Siege 2, in the storm at some point. You know, and, and look at his character. He became a big force in the rest of the show. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with these guys. Well, are you ready to quibble about this one? Let's quibble. It's time for quibbles. We've been taught that we have to close the iris, we have to raise the shield, because these explosions will translate through the gate. Ah, right. We don't worry about that anymore. I mean, it, uh, in, in Air Part 1, we didn't worry about that. And in this episode, we didn't worry about that. There should have been a huge burst of lava fly through the gate or something fly th- through the gate. Nope, this, this version 1.0 gate seems to be smarter than the others in that it turns itself off before anything like that comes through. Yeah, when your planet blows up, 
Um, Stargates are really, really resilient. You know, we've dropped Stargates into stars before, and they survive for several moments. With a shield, yeah. With a shield on. So, um, yeah, you blow up your planet where your Stargate is on, and you're going to get a little havoc come trailing behind you through the wormhole, uh, which has not happened in in, uh, this episode, or as you said, in Air Part 1 when we first dialed to Destiny. And I thought about that when I first watched this episode, and I forgot to write it down in my notes, so I'm glad you remembered it. There's something brought up in this episode, and it's, this is not really a quibble, it's more of a technical uh, question to put on the table for listeners. Uh, there's, a, there's a question about the communication stones that maybe they only work over long distances. So did the connection between Telford and Rush cut off because he stepped through the Stargate? Uh, and it was actually gate travel, you know, being demolecularized and transferred through a wormhole. Does that break the connection? Seems like it would. It makes or sense. is it the fact that, that when he stepped out, that now Rush and Telford are in such close proximity that the stones don't work over close proximity? They do from identity. See, this is this is going to be a retcon. If, if going through the Stargate kills your connection, that's going to be a retcon, because Kiva went through the gate... Uh, not Kiva, Neva. Oh, God. Because <laughs> Neva Kessel went through the gate to help yeah, rescue right. Jennifer Keller, and she wasn't disconnected. So the stones present all sorts of right. issues for um, you know, retroactive continuity. You know, cause this, this is really one of those elements that they're having to make it up as they go along and fix the, the, the way that these devices work as they go along. And I, I can't blame them for just going, oh, my God, what do we do this time? You know, with, Did with those two... Remind me, in Identity, did Neva and Keller ever actually see each other when they were in the wrong bodies? Yes, they, they did. They were next to each other. So I, I'd like to hear an explanation as to why this happened. Um, yeah, you know me. I'm always trying to smooth out the continuity and come up with a plausible explanation. Yeah. So I think, I think in this case, traveling several galaxies you know, with a 9 Chevron address is probably a, a good enough excuse to have some interference, whereas normal gate travel in the same galaxy would not necessarily interfere with the communication stones. You know, what's the relationship between the communication stones and the console? You know, we've got the big pointy console that the ancients used, that Neva and Keller used, but now we're using an Earth version of this, so Telford and Rush are using the little light box. Yeah, it may have its own drawbacks. You know, the console that, that the ancients had may not have ki- kicked in and out when they were using the uh, big communication stone console, but they, it does with ours. So, you know, that would if they would m- mention that in dialogue, that would be an adequate explanation as far as I'm concerned. That this thing is just like our dialing computer at the SGC. You know, it it mimics the pulses that the gate uses. To, right. But to, it doesn't have all the features. It, yeah, it doesn't have all the features. It's the sacrifice of taking something po- more portable with you. There you go. That works. So I've been looking forward to the Lucian Alliance coming to the ship uh, for a long time now, ever since I heard about it in spoilers. Um, and Kiva seems to be a pretty smart cookie. She seems to recognize that they're going to be out there in the, in the far universe with, with limited rations. And the Lucian Alliance, they are so well equipped with laser weapons. Um, you know, you got Tenat and Jupe. You know, they've, they've they've got all the laser weapons. Anytime that I've seen the Lucian Alliance, uh, I, I I think I've seen particle weapons and things like that. So Kiva sends her team through with bullets. Yeah. You come through the Stargate with weapons that have a finite supply of firepower. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that. There's recharge plates on this ship, and that they can recharge the weapons. So, so I was like, as soon as yeah, they stepped through and they started doing um, weapons fire with conventional bullets, the Lucian Alliance, I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Because now we have we had the opportunity to introduce weapons that would not run out of juice um, and firepower. And and it seemed a little like, yeah, okay, Lucian Alliance officers, put aside all of your laser weapons. Let's only bring stuff through that's going to run out. Yeah, these guys are using Gould technology, so at the very least, you know, in addition to all these other forms of, of uh, you know, particle weapon and other energy-based weapons from around the galaxy, like Tenant and Jup had, 
Uh, at least they should have Zat guns and, and that kind of thing. Um, I think that's a fair quibble. I was I was surprised to see them shooting bullets and to see her draw what what looked like a you know an Earth pistol for all intents and purposes uh, when she was threatening to execute hostages. I can understand that the writers and the producers only wanted to bring through weapons that would run out of ammunition to continue that suspense from season one. You know, once once this stuff is gone, it's gone. But from what we know about the Lucian Alliance, it seems that they had to go out of their way to make the Lucian Alliance not well-equipped when the opposite would be the case with as such a smart and intuitive warlord as Kiva that we've got here. She, she, would yeah. not, she would not make a mistake like that. Well, and the Lucian Alliance may have had to go out of their way to get their hands on that kind of technology because m- most of what we've seen floating around the galaxy is not you know, Earth-based uh, and why would you do that, though? Why why would you do that? Projectile weapons. I mean, what planets have we seen projectile weapons like we use? The only other episode I can think of is Beneath the Surface. Those guys had, you know, gunpowder and bullet shooting weapons. Yeah. A lot of the Pegasus Galaxy planets had, had bullets uh, in, in their weapons, but not as many of the Milky Way planets did. They had laser weapons. I mean, the... The Rondans and the Hebridians and all the others. So it just seems like a real missed opportunity, you know, to bring laser weapons into the show when it when I it suspect certainly that. seems like they went out of their way to avoid that. Yeah, maybe there's going to be a an on-screen reference to why that choice was made. Okay. But, uh, I suspect that on the part of the writers, you don't necessarily want to introduce a a more obvious sci-fi element, you know, traditional sci-fi, like when we discover Zat guns at the end of season one of SG-1. You know, now we have ray guns on SG-1. And they were fun and they were cool for for sci-fi fans, but, you know, with SGU, we're trying to be more gritty and realistic and appeal to mm-hmm. a broader audience. So it makes sense that the writers would want to, to stay away from adding ray guns in season two. It's just, it's always at about this time that they introduce the secondary, more sci-fi weapon to Stargate that the teams use going forward. The Wraith pistols were introduced, uh, I think, in the Siege Part 3, the more handheld pistols, and those were continually used throughout the rest of the show. The Zat guns were introduced in the Season 1 finale of SG-1, and those were continually used throughout the show. I was expecting the Lucian Alliance would bring them to the ship practically gift-wrapped, and it (laughs) didn't happen. We talked in our main discussion a few minutes ago about the Rite of Malsharan which was a Jaffa ritual that pushes you to the edge of death by removing your symbiote. Symbiote sustains a a Jaffa's life, uh, fights off infection, serves as the immune system. Uh, A a Jaffa cannot live more than a day or two without his symbiote. So you take that out, push him to the edge of death, and his life flashes before his eyes. Um, That seems to be what's going on here, as we talked about. If there's something else from SG-1's past mission reports, or the SGC's past mission reports that's not the right of Malsharon that we were using on Colonel Telford, I'd like to hear it, because we have no way of knowing that the right of Malsharon would work for a human, or for anybody without a symbiote. Yeah. There's a biological thing going on with removing a Jaffa's symbiote, so I think what you're suggesting by the fact that this works on a human is that you know, we could potentially take care of all different kinds of brainwashing, not just school brainwashing, but, you know, if you get brainwashed psychologically on Earth, or if you get brainwashed uh, by the Wraith, by their their feeding and restoring your life thing that they used on Tyre and the Satedans, um, then all we have to do is, you know, kill you and do CPR and bring you back, and then you're all better. I'm still processing that this was the right of Malsharan kind of thing that was used since you told me a few minutes ago so yeah if it was i definitely appreciate the callback the fact that 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 gets used but the fact that it's a human not a jaffa seems like seems like a pretty big gamble that it's going to work but it seemed to pay off for for colonel young (laughs) it seemed to work so maybe maybe it's fine you're listening to the gate world podcast that's Incursion Part 1, and for our full coverage, head over to GateWorld.net, and you can find the full transcript from the episode, 
You can find photos and tons and tons of high-quality screen captures. And uh, you can talk about the episode at GateWorld Forum. And we'll be continuing to add coverage from this episode. Uh, we'll have the full episode summary from Sharon. Uh, over the summer break, I'm hoping to write up uh, notes and points of analysis from the episode. Of course, we'll update the Stargate Omnipedia with new entries from Incursion Part 1. Anything I'm forgetting? That's pretty much it. That's a lot of work. Okay, we'll get busy. Listener mail. Hey guys, this is Chris from uh, New Jersey. Just calling in because I had uh, a little uh, thing to talk about on Subversion. I know I'm probably late, but uh, here we go. Um, I know everybody was all talking about Telford's backstory and all that, but we also, uh, what I didn't hear was uh, that we also got a lot about Young's backstory. We had already previously known that uh, Young had been put up for the spot for the uh, original team to go for the ninth Chevron, and he turned it down, and now we find out why. It turns out that his friend, David, sold out not just him, but his entire team on planet, and 37 people died, as he finds out when talking to David. So as we can see, Young has a very tortured past. He's already dealing with the fact that he lost 37 people, and blood was on his hands as he had to watch them all die, with nothing he could really do about it. And then later to find out that his best friend not only didn't tell him about it, but did it on purpose, there's blood in the water, and I think Young has every right and responsibility to see that justice is done. Now I can only hope that he can do it in a responsible way and uh, hopefully not turn himself down the same path. Hello, this message is about um, a caller comment on episode 92 from Josh about the FTL drive. Uh, I just wanted to comment, he said, he wonders if it has to slow down to navigate slowly to avoid crashing into planets and such. Well, um, the vastness of space is immense. You can't even comprehend it, and I have trouble comprehending it sometimes. Basically, the void is so big. If the technology is so advanced to allow to travel between stars, there would be such an easy way to create a navigation system to plot a course to where you won't uh, get in contact with any planets or stars. So the fact that I have to slow down is a little bit unrealistic. More than likely, it's slowing down to get more information from the seizure ships. So basically, it's going through the system after the seizure ships, collecting information, and it can't do that. It was going as fast as it was between the voids. I kind of couldn't just sit there and just take that comment because it's kind of a sticker for me. Hello, Darren and David. This is Scott from Birmingham, Alabama, calling again. I have to admit that this time I'm not calling with a Stargate-related question. It's more in response to the comment that was made on the Open Line Night podcast that I just listened to this morning. David, I myself have been recently converted into a Doctor Who fan at the end of last year. And while I know that Darren and Tam, you're going to give their suggestions, I personally wanted to give three episode suggestions of Doctor Who that I think could help convert you. I would personally recommend The Girl in the Fireplace from Series 2, The Runaway Bride from Series 3, and Planet of the Dead from the 2009 specials. Now, I chose these episodes because they are not deeply steeped in mythology, and an outside viewer could probably watch them and enjoy them. Okay, so ever since I mentioned last week that I was looking for three episodes from you and Tammy, I have yes. been inundated with suggestions for um, <laughs> episodes, which I appreciate, but now I'm at like about 30 episodes that I need to Good. watch. All I want is three. Now, Darren and Tammy have the right of the final recommendations for David. Um, and I wanted to put in that in that podcast last week that if you have ideas of what you want David to watch, send them to me, and I'll compile my list of, of the three. I think Girl in the Fireplace is definitely going to be one. I'm not sure about Runaway Bride or Planet of... I can tell you right now, Runaway Bride is not going to be one of them. Uh, Planet of the Dead I was not going to be one of them. But uh, Girl in the Fireplace, I think, is a keeper. Sounds hot. Oh, it's hot, baby. Yo, Gateworld, Mike from London. 
Just got a quick comment on one of the things you raised in your May the 26th show. As you know, in the UK, up till this point, we've been getting things a week later than you, so I've only just listened to it now. You were talking about Rush in Telford's body, talking to the other guys and how the accent would have been wrong. Well, my view, the vocal cords go with the body, so surely Rush, Scottish guy and an American guy's body, using the American guy's vocal cords would presumably have talked with the American guy's voice and accent, do you not think? Discuss. Yes, Damon and Dave, this is John from uh, North Carolina, USA. Um, two questions, actually. One thing I've been wondering is, who is that on the uh, podcast voicemail that gives the directions? Uh, just curious. Um, and my second question uh, stems from uh, on the Subversion podcast. Uh, you were wondering why uh, Robert Carlyle or uh, Rush was speaking in you know, a Scottish accent and the other characters didn't pick up on it. Uh, it reminds me of an episode uh, back where uh, Daniel and Bella were using the uh, stones and uh, they were understanding what the you know, other people were saying and Daniel surmised that it was because the stones were translating for them. Uh, so it's possible that could be happening with Telford, uh, even though there wouldn't necessarily be a translation since it's English, but something could be going on there. <laughs> My quibble. It was just a quibble, and it has caused this this firestorm of, of positive and negative uh, comments. Holy cow. Well, in addition to these voicemails, it stirred a bit of a, a bit of a conversation slash debate on the, on the forum and the website, which I thought was... Great and hilarious and a bit overstated at points. Here's the question. Mike suggests in his voicemail that the accent is physical, that it's it's part of your vocal cords. It's how your vocal cords work, um, which I don't think is the case. And I think that, that what's going on with a, an accent that is by region or by country is that it's learned behavior. It is completely mental. You grow up enculturated pronouncing words this way. Uh, it's not physical at all as far as I'm concerned. Your lips and your tongue and your vocal cords are, are sort of become accustomed to pronouncing things this way. Sure, there's that physical component, but I think it's completely mental. It's learned behavior. So I think the accent goes with you when you use a communication stone. I have friends here in the United States that are Scottish, that are Dutch, that are German, and they don't have Scottish, Dutch, and German accents because of the shapes of their mouths. It is a learned behavior. So let the rage continue. <laughs> oh, maybe we can devote a podcast to that. <laughs> oh, goodness. Now, that's good. That's good. If anybody has further thoughts, uh, if you disagree with me, I want to hear it. No, and yeah, uh, John asks also, who's the, who's the girl uh, when you call into the podcast hotline? That is the lovely Mrs. Darren. That is my wife. And that is the Mrs. only Darren. place that you can, you can hear or... or uh, I guess you can't interact with her because it's just a voicemail recording. Yeah, this is Anthony from Spokane, Washington. What do you guys think of the Stargate Horizon fan fiction stories on the Internet? I first heard about them on your website, but I have not heard you talk about them. I'd like to know what your guys' thoughts are, especially now that it says it's going to be in its fifth and final season. You and I are not huge fanfic readers, but you thought that this show, it was, it was one of the first of its kind at the time, and you thought it was an interesting idea. I love the idea, promote. and I'm not much of a fanfic reader at all, but Stargate Horizon is one of a number of fan series, fan written series, that is written in script format, in teleplay format. So they have several writers, just like a TV show, uh, who contribute over the course of a season. They plan out a season of 20-some episodes and roll them out on a weekly basis, just like a TV show, except they're not produced and filmed and broadcast. Uh, you get to download the script and read the screenplay, uh, which I think is a really cool idea. And I looked at some of these first episodes that they did uh, for their first season, and I thought that it was just a really cool concept. So uh, we've brought them we've, into the uh, fold done our best to support them over the years and Alex Rubit is uh, the creator and I apologize Alex if I'm mispronouncing your name but yeah they're getting back into gear they've been off for a while uh, but they're gearing up again to do their fifth season so hopefully we'll get Alex to come back over to Gate World and write 
a little news story announcing that. So if you want to check out Stargate Horizon in the meantime, we'll post a link to their website in the show notes, and you can look. They've got four seasons worth of episodes that you can download and read right now. These are full scripts, slightly modified from a from a script version, considering you know you have to play them out in your brain. But uh, it's a neat idea. Hey guys, uh, this is Ron from Hanover, Pennsylvania. Uh, me and my wife were actually just listening to the podcast about the replicator versus board debate, and just thought it was interesting to note that I think the replicators might win overall. Um, kind of sad that I was thinking about this, but the the board are limited by the amount of life forms, you know, organisms in the galaxy that they can take over and assimilate. While the replicators are only limited by the amount of natural resources in you know whatever kind of size galaxy or universe you want to say they exist in. It just seems like the replicators would win in a war of attrition. So, just uh, food for thought. Hi, Darren and David. This is Greg calling from Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. I've just recently discovered the Gate World podcast. I've been looking for something to listen to while sitting on my computer at work. And about two to three weeks ago, I discovered this podcast, and I've listened to almost every episode. Uh, two things I wanted to cover. First, a rebuttal to something mentioned in an earlier podcast regarding the speed at which Destiny travels through the void. In the real world, deep space probes uh, use a propellant and are constantly accelerating. Perhaps the same sort of thing happens with Destiny. As it travels through the void, through its first few days, it may travel slower uh, as it's accelerating as it goes through the void, and that could be why the Destiny was still in range, so Eli, Chloe, and Scott could gate back because it hadn't gotten up to speed, so to speak. Uh, it's just one theory I have. The second thing I want to talk about was the most recent episode, Incursion. I have a bit of a quibble regarding Carter leaving behind the two 302 pilots. Uh, couldn't she have just beamed them directly onto the ship right out of their 302s? Um, maybe there's an explanation to that, but if there is, it would have been nice if it was addressed on air. So we're not just wondering, what about those pilots? Why didn't she just beam them up? That was the first thing I said. Is to, I, I thought they were going to do that, and then I was really surprised when they left them behind. Uh, great work on the podcast. Love it. And I'll be listening to the next episode today. Well, thanks, everybody, for all that voicemail and all those questions. Uh, definitely good stuff. And, and we have one more episode to watch of SGU for this, this next week. And then we'll, we're going to do our Stargate Universe Season 1 uh, recap. And then we've got several shows that we're looking for some ideas for what to talk about. So if you guys have, have uh, more things that come up that are related to SGU or or anything Stargate, we're, we're definitely looking for some full show ideas. So call in, and this week we're going to talk about Incursion Part 2. Part 2. So as always, we like to ask you, what did you think of uh, Friday season finale? Did you like it? Did you hate it? Was it meh? Was it fantastic? Call in, let us know. We'll take it all. We hear from the writers and the cast that the end of this episode, whatever it is, it's going to end on a cliffhanger and that, that there is something jaw-dropping that is coming. So I have no idea what that is, but I particularly want to hear what people think of the jaw-drop and if it made your jaw-drop. Or if, they, if you can all decide on what the jaw-drop is. So that'll be next week, June 16th, Incursion Part 2, and then again we'll do the Season 1 recap for SGU on the 23rd of June. And on June the 30th, our discussion is... 2010, then and now. We are talking about the Season 4 SG-1 episode, 2010, which introduced the Shen. It was Brad Wright's episode. We're talking about uh, the com comparing and contrasting uh, what that episode was, if it had taken place now, compared to what it would have been if that episode had never been. Um, we're just we're just talking about like various timelines and things like that, the, the loss of Hammond and... Uh, in uh, real life, Donna Davis and the the fictional loss of Janet Frazier. She was alive then, as opposed to in, in 2010, as opposed to now in 2010. So uh, yeah. that's that's what we're going to discuss. That should be good. That should be interesting. So people have a couple of weeks to rewatch 2010. Well, that's our show for this week. That was a good one. That was fun. Twas. Thanks everybody for tuning in. If you want to leave us some voicemail. Please do. Please talk about uh, Incursion Part 1 after you watch that on Friday. Please. You know what they're doing on Sci-Fi? They're doing a day-long SGU marathon. They're going to air from Water, Episode 6, all the way to the premiere of the finale. Wow. 
So if you want a day of SGU and you live in the U.S., uh, Sci-Fi Channel starting at 8 a.m. this Friday. And you don't uh, have a job. June 11th. And you don't have a job. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of us don't right now. Have I ever oh, told mercy. you the, the story of when I stayed home from my job? I took vacation to watch the all-day uh, Star Trek Next Generation marathon. Oh, you're kidding me. When yeah. TBS started, was it TBS or Spike no, TV? Or which, it, was when, it was when Spike first got yeah, it. Yeah, they, they, I it remember been, that. It had been off the air for years. I had not seen an, a single episode of TNG for years. Before I just loved it. Before the DVDs came out, right. Yeah, before DVDs. All right, so anyways, that. there's something about a voicemail hotline. Um, that is area code 951-262-1647. Call anytime, day or night, or you can also email a brief audio recording to webmaster at gateworld.net. But the brief audio recording will not get you Mrs. Darren's pretty voice. No. You have to call the hotline for that. Thank you for listening and for calling. Good. Maybe I'll put you on there. <laughs> no, no, she's perfect. Leave it there. Then we won't get nearly as much voicemail. <laughs> you can also post on the podcast feedback thread at the website uh, over at GateWorld Forum and check out the show notes page for GateWorld Podcast number 93, Incursion Part 1. From GateWorld, this is Darren. And I'm David. And come back next week. Don't miss it. It's the season finale of Stargate Universe. Stargate Universe.